0: What a beautiful prayer we just sang. In all thy mercies. You know, we're already dipping into those sweet mercies he's provided for us in 2019. When I was thinking the other day and closing out 2018 and taking some time to review the year and thinking of the year ahead, and the, the thought, the phrase came to me, God has stored up already his future graces for 2019. It's a matter of us discovering them. If you're entering into this year with fear and trepidation, that's an assuring note, isn't it? That the Lord is going to be there when you get there, whatever it is you're going to face. And just as He was faithful last year, you can bank on the fact He'll do the same, and even more so in the year to come. That's why we're digging into this passage. As we start 2019 together, to learn how to pray in a way that the Lord might transform us, and maybe even take us to be so bold as to hope to places that we've we've been maybe resistant to go, maybe places we've never been before. That the Lord might be pleased to search us and to know us and to root out every grievous way and to lead us in the way everlasting. You know, when the scholars turn to Psalm 139, they, well, they pull out the superlatives. Um, Some of the most soaring praise you'll find in the commentators for this particular psalm. And in part because so many of the quotes uh, that you know from this psalm that we're going to devote these next four weeks to are um, emblazoned on your mind and your heart throughout the years. The, I am fearfully and wonderfully made um, that where can I go from your spirit? Can I rise to the heaven? Can I go to Sheol? Behold you're there. Th- those lines that have assured us and have comforted us when we've when we've been wrapped in that shame that Tony was talking about a second ago and we've loathed who we were to know that we were fearfully and wonderfully made and When we've been fearful that we've lost our way and we don't know if we're ever going to get recovered to know that the Lord has formed every day of our life and He's acquainted with all of our ways. He knew them in His book before there was one. It's incredibly important comfort to us. Uh, Psalm 139 has those kinds of lines in it. And that's that's why I think the scholars, when reading them from Augustine to Calvin to Derek Kidner this week, uh, recognizing that this... This psalm uh, speaks to every heart, and it's one of the most glorious um, songs in the, in the psalms. Uh, one, one writer saying, it's the most excellent in the whole of the psalm book. It's the most sublimest composition in the whole of the world. Or, or as Spurgeon, my, my favorite Baptist preacher and commentator, said, the most notable of all of the sacred hymns, this one, Psalm 139. The brightness of this psalm is like a sapphire stone or like an Ezekiel's terrible crystal. It flames out with such flashes of light so as to turn even night into day. Oh, only Spurgeon is able to do that. Um, That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for that kind of work to be used by the Spirit that He would take this passage on wings into our heart. In the days to come. That's why I challenged you even last week as I introduced Psalm 139 to consider committing to memory, if you haven't already, verses 23 and 24. Because that's where we're going to spend the primacy of our time. And over the course of this month, ask the Lord to fulfill those four petitions in the prayer of David. Well, before we actually jump into the content of today's message, let's take time to read this passage together And give ourselves uh, over to the nature of God's instruction here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to the Lord's words through David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, as we read these words and as we enter into that prayer, we would ask that we would actually be able to pray it and not just mouth the words or make them form on our lips and push the sounds out of our mouth, but, but let it be as but a song from our heart. And a reality that would become more true of our lives. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. So come and build it, Father, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the key words in the Bible for salvation is that word Search. It's not a word that we, we think of as a key word in the Bible for salvation or a key word in the Bible we might go so far as to say in discipleship, but it is. It's a word we see from cover to cover to describe a true and, and steadied and stayed posture towards the Lord. We are those who search for God. We are those who seek after the Lord. Moses, when he's writing to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, as he's preparing them to cross the Jordan River and enter into the land of Canaan, he wants to instruct them, and this is how he instructs them. When you leave from here, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search after Him with the whole of your heart. It's the same language that Jeremiah speaks to the exiles, the people of Israel as they've been held captive in Babylon and they look to the future and they hope they'll be restored to the promised land. That wonderful chapter of Jeremiah 29. So many of us know verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you. That verse. But in verse 13, just beyond that promise, Jeremiah actually tells us how those plans of the Lord are really fulfilled in terms of our human responsibility. How do we pursue the fulfillment of the plans which the Lord has decreed? And this is what he says. You must seek me. And when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with your whole heart. It's the same language of Deuteronomy 4. If you seek me, you'll find me. But you must seek me With the whole of your heart. Well, now that's the problem. That's the problem. Because as soon as you read those, you think, oh yes, that's what I I want to be. I want to seek the Lord with my whole heart. I want to search for the Lord with everything that's in me. And then there's Monday morning. And there's a whole lot of other things that you're seeking after. A whole lot of other interests, desires, motivations that rise up within you and you find your attention splintered in a thousand different directions and a very small portion of it and with fits and spurts towards the face of Almighty God. If you seek me, you'll find me, but you got to seek me with all of your heart. Yeah, the reality is for all of us, right? Um, and I think for everyone throughout history, has, since the fall, is that we're divided in heart. We're divided in heart. As you come into this room this morning, and as I come into this room this morning, we're divided in heart. No matter how much you, you feel like, oh, I'm, no, no, I'm really devoted to the Lord. No, you, you're, you're, you're not, not to the degree that you think you are. And, and you'll see that David was aware of that in his own heart, which is why he's praying this prayer in verses 23 and 24 for the Lord to search him. He knows that, and he wants the Lord to come and do the work that only the Lord can do within him. He doesn't even trust himself to be able to search himself very well. So He's asked the Lord to come and do it, because he understands the nature of the human condition that we're fallen and we're broken. And as soon as we even do a little self-examination, we get deceived in our self-examination. And we're not even sure if we're seeing ourselves correctly, and so our searching often ends in dead ends or in delusions of grandeur about who we are, or delusions of despair about there being no hope. And and maybe maybe the range of that and everything in between is in our hearts this morning as we sit in this room. Mostly, it's the things of the world. It's captured our hearts. You remember as a rich young ruler who came and seek the Lord. We, we see that in Matthew chapter 19. He came putting, as it were, a, a gospel presentation on a silver platter, saying to, to Jesus, how might I be saved? And, and, and we hear Jesus' response, and it makes us shiver just a little bit because he says, well, you know, if you just keep all of the commandments, you're going to be saved. Fine, don't worry. We know your command. And we think to ourselves, well, that's really bad news. Well, this is how diseased the rich young ruler was. He thought that was good news. This is how well he understood himself. He said, oh, I've kept those from my youth on. He thought, well, my goodness. Well, aren't you something? Aren't you something? Somebody needs to speak to you about you and who you really are. You know, that would have been the way I would have gone at it, but Jesus Jesus is pushing on his heart. He, and, and what he really does is he starts with commandment one. He says, Since you've kept the commandments, start with the commandment one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Go sell everything you have and follow me. And we're told that he walks away sorrowful. Because he had a big bank account. He lived in Williamson County. <laughs> he was divided in heart. But he was seeking the Lord. He was seeking the Lord, but he was divided in heart. Both of those things were, what were happening. The, the crowd in John chapter 6, it's the same way the crowd that Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? With those five loaves and those two fish, beautiful story told in every one of the Gospels. As he, as he feeds the 5,000, and they get so excited about this amazing meal that he had just prepared for them. We're told at the end there in verse 15, they try to grab him and make him king. Right? That's what the crowd often wanted to do with Jesus. And Jesus found his way through the crowd, it's very mysterious, and he disappeared, right? And then later we see him walking on water, the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples are going to the other side. And, And you know what? When Jesus and his disciples get to the other side, guess who's there? The crowd. They followed him because they're so devoted to Jesus, they're so committed to Christ. They want to be where he is at every point. They're there every time the church doors open. They signed up for men's and women's Bible studies. And they're, and you know, they're, they're very involved. They're highly involved. They're deeply committed to Christ. And, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, You know why you're here? Because I gave you the loaves. And you want me to do it again? You're not here for me, you're here for the goodies. You came for the coffee and donuts. You're not here for me. You're divided in heart. Now, when we read those stories in the New Testament and we hear the instruction of Moses and Jeremiah or, or from Paul in Acts chapter 17 when he's speaking to. The men of Athens on the Areopagus and the philosophers, and he's engaging with them. And he says, listen, I want you to know that you're to seek the Lord with all of your heart. That's why he's revealed his image to you and he's created to you. And he's not very far from any of you. Even though all those instructions are given to the Lord that we should pursue with our whole of our heart. The conundrum, the perplexing mystery is the fact that none of us really have a hold on our hearts. And they're going a thousand different directions. In both of the cases with the crowd and the rich young ruler, this is really, if we could distill it down, it's the way I wrote it here in my notes. If we could distill it down, it's like this. In both cases, they wanted just enough of the Lord to get what it is they wanted. But they didn't want any more of the Lord that it required them to give their life away. They wanted just enough of the Lord. So they could get what they wanted, but they didn't want any more of the Lord than it would require them to give their life away. They, w- they wanted, if we could put it this way, the comforts of Christ without the cost of following Christ. They wanted the benefits without the responsibilities. They wanted the privileges and the blessings without the obedience. Uh, now, recognizing that there's something of that in our hearts, is there not? Every single one of us in this room recognizing that and acknowledging it before the Lord. Uh, maybe you, like me, even as I was reflecting on that this week, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that man. I am that man far too often. I don't want to be that man. I, I want to I trust the Lord. I want to give all of myself to the Lord. I want to be centered on what's important to Him. and I, I want to be focused on Him. I want Him to be the prize, the treasure of my life. And then I begin to read about what that would mean. You know, to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me or consider my time not my time, consider my stuff not my stuff. And consider all of the ways that things and people infringe upon what I think of as mine and then I get frustrated by it. And I think, well, no, I don't really want that. I think I'll just settle for a tamer Christianity. One where I can, I can come to church Two out of four Sundays, I'm going to read my Bible a few times a week, pray when I think about it, and look like most of the other Christians I know, and call that Christianity. When over and over in the pages of Scripture we're told that what salvation looks like, what followership and discipleship looks like in Christ is seeking the Lord with all of your heart. And putting everything on the line for Christ. I wonder what that would mean for you today. To be at a place in a position of your heart and life where you'd say, yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to push this world all the chips to the center of the, the table for Christ. I'm ready to give, give everything to Him. Where are the places where the Lord's called you? And you know He's called you. You've pricked in conscience and you just will not go there. You won't go there. What are the things you know have been tangled up around your heart in the world and you will not cut them loose? But what are also the things that you wished you could cut loose and the pursuits that you wished you could do? And you know you, you want to, but you find that every time you go to do right, there's sin right there with you. That's the language of Paul. That you fall flat on your face. That You try and you try and you try and it, you just keep going back like the dog to his vomit. And you know better, but you keep doing it, but you can't seem to change. You're stuck in some ways. I think that's why David really gives us this prayer. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Because if we we think about it, most of our prayer life is, hey, Lord, provide for me. Um, Help me put up with my mother-in-law. Give me... Give me a success at work. Increase my love for my wife. Take care of my children. Don't let them do anything dumb. Um, Those those are kind of our prayers, right? And are those good prayers? They are good prayers. God God loves to hear the heart of his his children. He's inclined uh, towards the heart of his children. We see those kinds of prayers. Maybe not exactly in Middle Tennessee vernacular, but we see it in, in the Scriptures. Those quality or petitions of prayer. But I want you to see in the context of Psalm 139 a deeper prayer. The Puritans called their people regularly to pray until you pray. To pray until you break through into prayer. To to cut through in some ways the fact that when you start praying, what are you consumed with? You. That's why you're asking all this stuff about you. Right? Right? You're full of you. You're full of my job, my wife, my children, my stuff, my things, my my crises, my struggles. You. And so your prayers are filled with you. What I want you to see with Psalm 139, we're gonna pray the deep prayer. Search me, O God. And I call you to try me. I call you to bring suffering and difficulties into my life if necessary to root out anything that would be there in order that I might walk on the highway that is everlasting and before your face. Say that kind of prayer, to not just say it, but for it to sing a bit in your heart. What do you have to do to get there? And What would it be like to push through it as we go into the year ahead? Well, I want to just take a second, because we'll be in this passage for four weeks, so I'm taking my time to drill in a little bit, to lay some foundations this morning, to introduce this psalm so that you can see why it's so important for where it is the Lord wants to take us together in the year ahead. And I think what David recognizes, which I hinted at a little bit ago, is that our own searching of ourselves is not enough. It's not enough. For we, when we search ourselves, only see the things that we could see. We're, we're limited to the, to the eyes of, of the spiritual insight and wisdom that's been, been granted to us. We, we don't see everything about who it is that we are. And we're often blind and then we're deceived about who we are. And so we need somebody else to search us. This is why it's sometimes really helpful in a home fellowship group or with a very dear friend who sees you to to talk to them and say, what do you see in my life? What do you notice about me? I'm asking honestly to be in a relationship where someone can give you an external view and put their finger on something so you can hear it and take it to heart and reflect on it. It's often very painful, but it's the right kind of pain. It's the kind of pain that brings change and healing. In many ways in the passage before us, David is doing just that, but he's not just calling on his own fellowship group. He's not calling on his his friend or a spouse. He's calling on God to do it. Search me, O God. David is the object of the all-searching eye of God. He's calling on that. Now, why would he do that? That sounds scary to do that. Why would he do that? Because he knows God. He knows him. He knows him enough to trust him with this request. He knows him deep enough to say, These are the words that God is inclined to answer. And no matter how painful or difficult it will be, it will be good and right. He knows that about his God. He shows us that in this psalm. We're just going to fly over a few things. Right at the opening of Psalm 139, in those first four verses, you know what we see? We see this beautiful portrait of an attribute of God. It's called omniscience. It means that God is all-knowing. David's saying, I want to go to the one who actually knows me. (laughs) Okay, And he doesn't think it's him, and he doesn't think it's his spouse. He thinks it's God. That God is the one who knows him best. Where do we see that? You know me and search me, verse 1. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Like you're not even near, just from afar, even before they're there. You search out or you know my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with, with all of my ways. Even before I say anything and the word is on my tongue, you already know it. So when I come to you with the prayer, search me, O God. I'm coming with the knowledge of knowing that you know everything that I need to know about me. And you're the best searcher there is of my soul. He comes with the knowledge of God's attribute of omniscience. His knowingness of all of who David is. But notice verses 7 and 12. He comes also with the recognition of omnipresence. Now this makes the sins of the world to me in terms of the logic of the unfolding of the passage verses 7 to 12 gives us this omnipresence think about it if God knows everything about you what will be your tendency well, let me just tell you mine since you seem confused on what that would be I'd hide personally I'd go find a hole to get in because to know everything about me is, means there's, not a lot, there's, there's some really bad stuff that, that he's going to know. So it makes sense that David would go, well, there's really nowhere to hide. Where am I going to go from your presence, verse 8? If I go to heaven, if I go to Sheol, you're, you're going to be there. If I, if I take wings and fly to the highest place, if I go to the farthest reaches of the sea, of which we've not even seen. You're there. Even if I was to go into the darkness, the darkness is as light to you. There's absolutely nowhere that I can go to hide. So as I come to you, Lord, to pray this prayer, I want you to know I come, knowing that you know everything about me, knowing that because you know everything about me, I'd want to hide, but there's nowhere for me to hide. Because I want to understand and to know and to honor in your presence that you are everywhere. And that you have never, you have never done anything alone. You have never done anything alone. That's the principle of this passage. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent. Now I begin to think, well, I'm in a pickle. Then I'm going to need someone to help me. (laughs) me. If I can't hide, I'm going to have to get help. I usually try hiding first, and then if I can't hide, I, I try to get help. Here's what he tells about us in verses 13 to 16. God, it was you who formed me. It's you who knitted me. As I consider you, all your works are wonderful. When, when no one had even saw me and I was in the womb, I was hidden in the secret depths of the earth, you were making and, and fashioning me. You've known every, every day. Uh, even before there was one because you scripted them, you formed them i 've never actually done anything i 've never acted without you, so you're also omnipotent you 're all powerful, which is could be good or bad news, depending on who you are <laughs> And actually, David hints at that, because right after he speaks of omnipotence, having moved from omniscience, all all-knowing, omnipresence, everywhere, to omnipotence, to power, look at what he does. He actually is real fascinating. He, he kind of it feels kind of bipolarish in the text. L- look at verse nineteen. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? You're like, what? He flipped a switch here. Like what? He was doing so well. He got and now he's gotten so angry. He was, Lord, you just know everything. You're everywhere and you're all powerful. It's, all, it's almost as if he's having this deep prayer time in his prayer closet in his, in his tent or in his temple. We don't know when the context is from Psalm 139. And then a knock comes on the door. And it's one of his enemies. And he just goes, I hate you. I just... And so he adds these few verses. And then he, then he gets back on track in verse 23. Oh, search me, oh God. You know, it comes back to a spiritual moment. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. I think he begins to acknowledge, listen, if God knows everything and God's everywhere and He is all-powerful... I know that He is a holy God and so judgment is coming. And there's no way to escape it. And so, Lord, I'm looking at those who hate You. I'm looking at those who plot against You. And I'm joining with You in Your hatred of evil and of wickedness. And I long to see everything that's wrong in the world righted. Lord, slay the wicked. I want it over. I want the world to be as You designed it to be. I want everything to be as it ought to be. I'm ready for this wickedness to go. His heart united. As he's thinking about the character of God, holiness and judgment begin to to come up in the midst of that. Then what might have happened in David's heart, if it's fair to step in a little bit of a hint of a direction? Well, after David is here and he says, You know, I hate them with a complete hatred. Lord, slay the wicked. He pauses in verse 23 and he says, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Now I think there are probably more than one fair reading of what's going on in David's own heart at this point contextually, and even in the context of this prayer. I don't have to say everything now because we're going to be in it in the days to come. But here's what I want you to, to note biblically. When his temperature rises with regards to his enemies, and he sees their wickedness and their malicious intent, and he wants them to be slayed, one of the things that would accost my heart and haunt my heart and one of the things that haunts me whenever I get so upset and frustrated and I feel like things need to be done right and justice needs to be served is that I pause and I think, if God were to actually do that, I'd be one of those enemies. Me, O God, and know my heart. Root out any grievous way in me. You hear that? There's a dawning here. There's there's a there's an awakening here. It's not as if in any of David's reflections there, in verses nineteen to twenty-two, as if he's operating at the level of revenge. That's not the spirit. The spirit is one of holy justice. But when he goes to holy justice, he realizes that holy justice is not just something for people out there. It's true for himself. And what that means is that he needs someone who can satisfy that justice for him. Because he's the enemy whom God had hated with complete hatred and rightly would sin to judgment if it were not for one, one person who loves God with all of his heart. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who it is. You, you see, when Moses says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 4, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Seek Him and you'll find Him. As long as you do it completely, fully, with absolute integrity, you'll be fine. He knows they're not even going to be able to cross the Jordan before they failed. You see, at the end of the day, He wasn't really even talking about them. But He was talking about the One who would come for them. The Lord Jesus Christ. The One who does seek His people. And seek His Father with His whole heart who has come here to save us, to pay the penalty for the justice of His enemies. Because that is who we are, friends, without the grace of Christ. Your enemies are not out there somewhere. The enemy, as we meet Him, is us. So as you can see, this passage is like a mountain of theology that David has been building to get to a place where he stands on top and petitions into the presence of the Lord as he understands his all-knowingness, as he understands his everywhere presentness, as he understands his power, and he understands his holiness and his judgment. He comes to the Lord with utter humility. Search me, O God. I won't even know where to begin with me. I need someone who knows me better than me. I need someone who will find me when I'm hidden. I need someone so powerful that they can change me once they find me. That's what I need. I can't do it myself. I need you to do it. That's why I'm praying and not reading a self-help book in Barnes & Noble. I'm praying because I can't do it if it's not for you. You feel the spirit of that prayer. Pray until you pray, until you understand that the goal of what David is praying here is for us to get to a holy desperation that says, unless the Lord does it, we are lost. As much as we were in 2018, even more so in 2019, unless the Lord does it. And what we have learned in the scripture is he has done it in Christ for you. He has done it. That's why I could say to you at the opening of our time together today the grace is stored up. Run the race that He has set before you, leaning against the tape. Run it because the grace is there for you. And when you fall flat on your face, that's part of it. Get back up by His grace and go again. For where you're weak, He's strong. Where you're foolish, He's wise. He is the one whom we've come to make much of this morning. And He is the vista by which we live. His is the face that we look to. As we enter into this year together, and as we try to pray, David's words, Search me, O God, and know me. Friends, I want you to know the fact that you're in this room is meaningful. The fact that He preserved you in 2018 when you thought you'd go under, And in the years in your past with the sufferings and challenges where you almost did. And He's remained faithful. When everything washed away, you found there was still a rock underneath your feet. That that same God is here in 2019. And He is going to prepare a place for you that will be a rock that nothing can move. Because it will be founded on Christ. You may have a hard time feeling that, knowing that, embracing that in this moment. But my prayer is that the Lord would so search your heart and try you over the weeks to come, and that together as a congregation we'd see such change that we would work against our feelings whenever needed in 2019 to what's more true the promises of what we've just read in Psalm 139. So, friends, seek the Lord with your whole heart knowing that Christ is the only one who has sought the Lord for you with his whole heart and as he has done so now and given to you his spirit as the Lord searches into you you know what he will find if you are his he will find himself in you and that is the greatest news imaginable. Father in heaven, search us. Search us and know us. And search until you find yourself in us. And in every way, that self being what captures the fullness of our lives as we set our face towards the year ahead. Father, come lead us into the future. Son, stand ready at the helm. Spirit, blow strong in the sails. And no matter what storms or fair days come our way, you will see us to a safe landing. This is our heart. We believe. Come and lead us by your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.